right, so let's uh, read John. <laughs> John 4. It says, Now when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had been told that, that Jesus was winning and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and returned to Galilee, for it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. And uh, here's Christ, right? He came to his own, right? And uh, chapter 1, 11, and they rejected him. And here Christ is uh, truly God and truly man as, as well. He felt everything we could feel without his sin nature. And um, so the Jews rejected him. You know, Christ, I could imagine he felt the rejection and the, the hurt. And they hated him without a cause in chapter 15. And the Lord didn't dispute with him. He just left. And he, he, he leaves and he goes through Samaria, right? Now, Samaria was a place where Jews couldn't stand the, the Samarians. They were really despised people. And a legalist would not go through Samaria. But Christ did. He took the route that others wouldn't. And he went the direct route to meet this woman at the well. Christ knowing all things, right? He knows our situation, our our lives, every detail, past, present, and future. He knows us all, yet he still chooses to love regardless of the individual. So um, in verse 5, it says, And in doing so, he arrived at a Samaritan town called Sychar, near the tract of the land that, that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus tried as he was from his journey, sat down to rest by the well. So he was weary and he was tired. It was then about the sixth hour. So about noon, it's, it says here. Um, pres presently, when a, a woman of Samaria came along to draw water, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And um, we see here Christ obviously sharing the suffering of humanity, being tired, um, and experiencing what we all experience, right? Um, sat here to wait for this woman who was on her way to the well. And here it's, it's just awesome to see that he knew her, right? And the patience he expressed or he had with her all the way down through the 30th verse. So in verse 7, presently when a woman of Samaria came along to draw water, Jesus said to, to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone off into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me, a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan and a woman for a drink? For the Jews have nothing to do with this, the Samaritans. So God brought her to this well, right? Which at that time, I guess it, it was uncommon for women to go out by themselves at this hour to draw water. So it's an unusual thing for her to go out, yet God brought her. And the Lord, I guess in this sense, in his um, where he was at, was dependent for, 
some water, right? He was asking her, right? Because she had a pot that she brought to get the water out. So verse 10, it says, Jesus answered her, If you had only known and had recognized God's gift and who this is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him instead and he would have given you living water. She she had been looking at him and how oftentimes we do this. We look to God in our own thoughts of what God thinks of us. And how many Christians live that way, thinking, oh, God's angry at me. Oh, God's this. Oh, God's that. When um, that's how this lady was living, thinking, having her own perception of what this man, you know, Christ, thought of her. And that's, that's what the truth that we're always taught, the most important thing about us is that God knows us. That way we can know who we are. And have this, you know, this proper teaching. Um, if not, we live in the in the lie, believing that God's against us. Imagine the the rejection and hate towards this w- woman who was hated by her own people because of the sin she was living in. And Christ being rejected by his own walks to meet this woman to love her, and he sits there waiting for her. Jesus answered her, if you had only known and had recognized God's gift and who this is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him instead and he would have given you living water. This is true love right here, which we can see. I would imagine he was pained because he couldn't act out his love because he or she is questioning God. And it shows that God's a constant giver, giving us what we don't deserve and not giving us what we do deserve, his mercy and his grace. Verse 11 said, she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, no draw bucket, and the well is deep. How then can you provide living water? She's still not understanding the water he's talking about. Where do you get your living water? Are you greater than and superior to our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well and who used to drink from it himself and his sons and his cattle also Jesus answered her all who drink of this water will be thirsty again but whoever takes a drink of the water that I will give him shall never no never be thirsty anymore but the water that I will give him shall become a spring of water welling up flowing continually with within him unto eternal life. Those who receive his his grace um, will never be left unsatisfied. And the life of this woman was shameful, right? She had been despised, rejected, and just the grief that she was probably experiencing at the time. She was isolated, all alone, and when she met Christ, she wasn't alone anymore. And that's just that's incredible picture of how we can ex- we we can live right we can live isolated apart from from him and when he comes and meets us we're no longer experiencing you know that that the the shame and the guilt but God was there in the midst of knowing our sin um, 
he was there and he met her need. The pot that she brought to fill with water, it, it represented what she thought was her, her need. And Christ is, is saying he has something to give her so that she will never thirst or need again, which is what, what follows in, in these preceding verses. So verse 15 says, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never thirst so that I may never get thirsty nor have to come here to draw. Verse 16 says, At this Jesus said to her, Go, call your, your husband and come back here. Then the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have spoken truly in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, but the man you are now living with is not your husband. In this you have truly spoken. The woman said to him, Sir, I see and understand that you are, are a prophet. What Christ is saying is you're thirsty and you're trying to fill a need with all these other husbands that you have, right? Which you'll never be satisfied. And he, she was looking for someone or to someone to fill that need that only he can that only he can fill, which is and just the love the love that Christ had for this woman to walk, right? Just to fill her need and show her that he loves her. And how many times do we think, you know, things in life will fill a void or fill this, this need that, you know, we think would fulfill, right? When, when Christ is the only one that will. And that's Isaiah 38. 18 he's um he's waiting to be gracious to us and so um verse 20 says our forefathers worshiped on this mountain but you jews say that jerusalem is the place where it is necessary and proper to worship jesus said to her woman believe me a time is coming when you will worship the father neither in this mountain nor merely in Jerusalem. You Samaritans do not know what you are worshiping. You worship what you do not comprehend. We do know what we are worshiping. We, we worship what we have knowledge of and understand. For salvation comes from among the Jews. A time will come, however, indeed it is already here, when the true gen genuine worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking He's the one that seeks just such people as these, as his worshipers. God is a spirit, and those who worship him in spirit must, those who worship must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, the anointed one. And when he arrives, he will tell us everything we need to know and make it clear to us. So she's still not grasping it right and he says in 26 jesus said to her i am i who am now speaking with you and he just then his disciples came and they wandered to find him talking with a woman How, however not one of them asked him what are you inquiring or what do you want or why do you speak with her then the woman came then the woman left her jar the jar she brought, right, to fill with water and went away to the town. And she began telling the people, come see a man who has told me everything that I ever did. 
Can this be, is, it, is not this the Christ? Must not this be the Messiah, the anointed one? So the people that left town and set out to go to him. And later in the chapter, it says that um, more were saved. Um, the woman at the well finally met someone who loved her and gave her this grace, who gave her truth, which she did, right? He knew in verse 18 that she had five husbands. We come to God with a thimble, right? Or with a pot to fill water, and he has way more than we think for us in that situation. How many times in a day do we fail? And we think that God gets weary with us when that's not the case whatsoever. Um, he sees us perfect in, in his love that he has for us. And he knows everything about us. Only he can fill those desires that he has given us. Right? Psalms 37, 4. John 10, 34. And Ephesians 2, 14. Who is our peace? Christ is our peace. Where are all the promises of God met? In Christ, the beauty of the story is the the woman that came with a pot to fill, and she it says in verse twenty eight that she left her jar that Christ met her need and she, you know her material need she forgot about it right Christ met her need, and she went to go tell others about it and by that many others were saved and we approach him with our water pot thinking that we need something but he always has something way way beyond our thinking to give us and yesterday yeah we were talking about psalms 136 his mercy and his love endures forever it's, it's just a constant showering of his mercy upon those that are his, right? And in no way am I, you know, saying that um, Christ doesn't want us to repent because obviously he does, right? But those that are his, we can repent and he doesn't see us after our sins. So, so following up with, uh, with what Johnny also beautifully shared, and I mean, it's a very, very beautiful portion. I love the way that God is raising up uh, a man of God here because we need him, don't we? And so, you know, when it says there in, 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 in John the fourth chapter, it said he had a need. See, his need that he deeply desired with the Jews that he was one with in terms of his humanity, the deep need of his love was to share his intimacy. That was the depth. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing when you think about it. And they rejected him constantly. Those that were supposedly the most taught about him could only function in a declarative knowledge, but they never, ever, ever submitted to him. You see, submission in relationships is huge because if there isn't any if there isn't any, and that's why we need forgiveness too. If there isn't any, there's no, there's no intimacy in, in a relationship. He de his need, he had a need to love them. 
and exchange the intimacy of his love as far as he could give it to them in his humanity. Of course, he was held in, in, in the bosom, the coal pond, the bosom of the Father for all eternity in John 1, verse 1. Nothing could disturb or distract that, but he had to come out. And as far as his humanity, he had a need. As, as, as far as a human being, him, God and, and man, could bring, could bring us, that's what he had for them. And they rejected him. They constantly rejected the intimacy of his love. That can happen in relationships. does. And the hurt and the devastation. And even the danger that can happen as a result of that. So then it said he had a need to go to Samaria. Because it wasn't met. They wouldn't let him meet the intimacy of, of his love, that was their very need that they were completely unaware of and even rejecting. Even rejecting, and it's devastating. Especially, can you imagine how hurtful and devastating that was to him when he so deeply loved them and they rejected it because it was strange to them. They didn't know they, they couldn't define love like that. They never had a proper definition of love till Jesus came, and yet when he did, they rejected him. Oh, how he, the enemy, hates it in relationships, especially those that are most intimate in marriage. Hates it. Wants people to be ashamed. Even using shame as a means and a guard and a bondage to keep intimacy out. And how devastating that is. And uh, so he had a need. So, you know, he went through Samaria, and, and Jediel brought it up in Samaria. The Jews hated the Samaritans because of their self righteous rags in Isaiah 64, verse 6. They, in their blindness and nakedness and hatred, didn't think anybody could add up to what they were in God's eyes. And in doing so, kept everybody out. But they hated the Samaritans. And as a result, the Samaritans hated them. With every cause, there's an effect. I thought of this when Jodiel was sharing. There, in, in, in the cause of his love, in the cause of his love, literally, in that cause, there is no hatred. So even when we think of hatred towards God, you know, in Psalm 97, verse 10, all you that love God hate evil. It's not, it, it's his wrath. See, Jesus on the cross, he wasn't getting, he wasn't being punished. So, so many times we think that. No, Jesus wasn't being punished even when our sins were on him. The wrath and holiness of God was on him. And that's why, that's what in John three thirty six and 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and 1 Thessalonians 5.9, there is no wrath for us. And that's why, it, that's the tribulation. It has to do with his wrath poured out. And some still think, precious people that we know, Barbara and I know some of these people, known them for years, now think the church has to go through the tribulation period. You know why? I'm telling you why. And God's telling me why and telling us all why they miss intimacy. They don't know him. They don't know it. 
two things. Number one, number one, that he was speaking to a woman in this way. Number one, because Jesus, until he came, he lifted women up back to their proper place. Because as a result of the fall, they fell, and it was the woman that Satan came against. Did you see that? And in the fact that it would be the seed of the woman in Genesis 3 and verse 15 would be the one who would deal with him, with Satan, in all his works. Jesus in, in, in Acts 10 verse 38, he went about doing good and destroying all the works of the devil. Isn't that awesome? He was anointed of God to do it. That's why she was saying he's the Christ. He could only be I don't quite yet understand him, but he can only be this one. Because not only did he t tell me and was very aware of all the things that I was carrying that caused guilt, all my sins when I was trying to meet my need and I couldn't, but he never judged me or condemned me for it. And there's no, there's no condemnation and intimacy and there's no shame. Just isn't. And that's why Adam and Eve, when they were together, as long as they functioned in submission to him, they were never ashamed, even though they were naked. There was no shame. It just wasn't. There wasn't. So he was speaking to a woman because he was literally lifting her up to her proper place and speaking to a Samaritan. And so he had a need the need that Jesus had was the desire of his love to be given in intimacy and in exchange with the individual. It wasn't met there. So he still had his need to be fulfilled. And you know where he found it? The woman at the well. That's where he found it. Because she was in shame. You know why? We will always operate in shame especially in the most intimate relationships. We will always operate in shame without the intimacy of God's love. We just will. We absolutely will do so. And uh, so I'll just share, just you know, briefly, it's only 10.33, and I'll just share some of the thoughts that as Jodian was sharing the word with us again so beautifully. Um, the, the verses, he's got me even saying, um, I don't usually say that, you know. That's, that's just a pause of waiting for God's thought. And I honestly know that too. But in Psalm 78, you can see this. In Psalm 78, when it says in verse 15, he claved the rock the rocks in the wilderness. And of course, that was, a, that was speaking of Jesus Christ being crucified on Calvary. Remember when, after, the, after Jesus had passed away, and in John 19, verse 34, one of the soldiers took a spear, and out of him came water and blood, two things that are necessary. We need the blood that pays for all of our sins without the shedding in Hebrews 9, 22. There is no remission of Without the shedding of blood, there's no canceling, no remission, no doing away with sin. And now that we're, once we're saved, so that we can fellowship in 1 John 1, 7, we need the purity and water of his word. 
in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. So when it says here, he clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink. Notice that? The woman at the well drink out of great depths. Oh, what a depth this woman must have. The depth of her misery, her shame, and her guilt. Constantly, without the intimacy of God's love, coming under another teacher that would say you need to cover the shame you need to cover when you should be experiencing the most incredible intimacy, especially, again, in the most intimate uh, relationships. He brought streams out of the rock. He gave that woman at the well more than she needed, much more, you know, because in Ephesians 3, and verse 19, to know the love of Christ that in 3.19 is, is poured out without limit in Romans 5, verse 5. Because in Ephesians uh, 5, uh, Ephesians uh, 4, and all through those chapters, so beautifully, so beautifully brought out in, in a beautiful way, he always does in Ephesians 3.20, exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. But do we ask? And when we do, do we have an expectation? Do we trust in him? Well, he brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they still sinned against him, provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart, asking meat for their lust. He wasn't enough. This woman, she, she didn't even realize how much that, that she needed until she met him. Yea, they spake against God. I was thinking of Psalm 23, and I was going to share on that, and I was thinking of Barbara on that Psalm 23. Maybe we can just go over it real quick. Yea, they, it, it, behold, he smote the, the, the rock. Well, they said, yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in this wilderness? Will God keep coming through for me? Is he going to meet my needs? I don't know. The last time I think we all looked, is God greater than our need? Is he greater than anything he can give us? Well, can he furnish a table, a place where we can sit down and feed, where all our needs are getting met in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock. That was his wrath poured out on Jesus Christ on Calvary. And the type there, and we see it all in Exodus and in Numbers, the types there. He smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Jesus was the bread in John, the sixth chapter, verses, starting at verse 30 all the way to 57. Can he give bread also? Can he provide the need for his people? The need for his people. Can they? Can he? Can he? You can read that, that whole psalm there but that in Psalm 78, but I'm just going to wrap it up very quickly this morning. And I'm going to share a little bit of Psalm 23. I just, um, at times, I can, be, I can be overwhelmed, me. <laughs> what a shocker. <laughs> I can be overwhelmed by my own failures and struggles, shortcomings. 
And of course, when that happens, you know, there's two things that are going on when that happens. The enemy's trying to make us bleed to death, make the blood to bleed the life out of us by condemning and accusing us in Revelation 12:10. And at the same time, God is saying to, to me and saying to us, see this area of your sin? I have dealt with it, but I must make you to know that sin that's been dealt with so you can have intimacy with me. Continue in the intimacy of my love and not the sin. That trying to meet the need, the need that the water pot spoke of her natural need. That's what it spoke of. And boy, she tried to fill that. <laughs> Five husbands couldn't do it. And the one she was still with couldn't do it. Well, Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord, my shepherd. I, I skipped is. You'll see it italicized. Because the truth of the matter is, the Lord, he is my shepherd. He's the good shepherd in John 10, 11, and 14. He's the great shepherd in Hebrews 13, 20. Yeah, he is. He's the chief shepherd. The chief in 1 Peter 5 and verse 4. He's the chief shepherd. And because he is my shepherd, and what does a shepherd do? He feeds the sheep. I don't lack a single thing. We lack. We lack. We don't lack in our position, but we do in our experience. But he's always faithful. He makes me. Notice that? He makes me to what? Lie down. That speaks of rest. John in John 13, 23 was always laying his head on Jesus' breast, to makes me to lie down in tender pastures, green. Green, we know, is the easiest color for the human eye to look at. That's why we look at the trees that are green. We walk everywhere we walk, it's green. It's a place of rest in Christ. And so he makes in green pastures. He leads me behind, beside what? The, the waters of quietness. That's what it says in the Hebrew. The waters of quietness. He's the one that brings back my soul to a proper experience. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, Christ is our righteousness. We walk where he's already walked as our righteousness. His steps in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. The steps of a man in grace in Psalm 37 and verse 23 are ordained of the Lord. They're already set up. Someone for each of us individually, someone has already gone ahead of us and prepared the way. He not only went before us, he goes with us, being in us as his church, but he goes with us to meet him. Yea, and he does that in paths of righteousness because it all has to do with his person. And his person, look at and his person and what? His works. So everything he did was to meet the desire of who he is. God is love, and he deeply desires intimacy. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow. And how many Christians live in the shadows of positional truth, but don't have a proper experience of intimacy. Intimacy. When we don't have intimacy, we would not believe the things 
Even things that may seem to be good in themselves replace intimacy because we get so occupied with those other things. What can replace intimacy in a Christian marriage? Tell me. What can replace it? Yea, though I walk through the valley, in the valley, that's where we get to know him. The valley, a valley is two mountaintop experiences, but that's where intimacy, the two, is being worked into because without intimacy, the love and his intimacy and his love, how do we climb that mountaintop experience? We wouldn't have the energy because the energy of God's nature is love, intimate, intimacy. Whenever you see God is love, you see God is intimacy, period, period. And it's self-sacrificial intimacy, sagape. The purity of God's nature is light, refuses to be mixed with anything. Try and replace intimacy. What are you going to mix with it? I'll tell you what it is. It's everything the, at the atmosphere the enemy has to, to create greater distance. Greater distance. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow, and death is only a shadow. It's only a shadow. There's no substance in it for the believer. I will, my will submitted to him, fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, and that speaks of chastisement. So there's chastisement. You know what, remember what chastisement is. The first step of grace for the believer in Christ is chastisement. It's just love. That's the first. The first of grace is chastisement. And why would he ch chasten us? Because there's no intimacy in that area. Something is replacing it. We need to have enough of it. Enough. He's waiting to be gracious. His in the intimacy of his love is waiting to be gracious. He will, he's knocking. In Revelations 3.20, he's knocking on the heart of the individual. They're two individuals in marriage, but they're one. One. And what brings it in is intimacy. There's no oneness without intimacy. There's no intimacy without oneness. And we already are. And then you take that in marriages and bring it into a local assembly in Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. I will fear no evil, you're with me, your rod, your chastisement in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, in Hebrews 12, 4, to right through to 29, that's the rod. And your staff, your staff, the shepherd, when the, when the sheep would, before they would enter into the pen, there were all kinds of sheep with different shepherds, but only the shepherd of the particular sheep, he could whistle or even speak and they would hear his name. But before they went in, and he would go before them, even before they entered in to a situation or a circumstance, he'd have the staff there. And the staff he would put low, so the sheep would have to bend low and humble those, themselves. And in humility, in humility, we allow him to inspect us, see if there was any injury or anything attached to us that shouldn't be there. Your staff... Because when you work those together, the rod and the staff, what does it speak of? It brings comfort. 
me personal. You prepared a table. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness in Psalm 78 verse 19? Can you prepare a table before me, right before me, in the presence of what? My enemies. Right in the presence of my enemies. Where does he do that? The enemy of doubt, fear. All these different things. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head. Oil. You make my head fat, meaning you fill me up more than I need. So just come. We heard it again today. Come with your with a thimble because you'll have the ocean waiting for you. He will make you so fat. He will give you so much more than you need. He will comfort you. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 6, he will comfort you. Not to make you comfortable and settle down in this world as a heavenly people, but make you comforters. And there isn't any without loving chastisement, the first step of grace. And there's no intimacy without love. There just isn't. It's just enough. 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 In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head, the Holy Spirit, the oil, that unction in 1 John 2.20 and 1 John 2.27, who takes the things of Christ and massages our head in the heat of day. In, the, in Asia, in those countries in the east, they would be in the sun a lot and they would anoint their head to, for comfort. And my cup, my capacity, what? is not just about me. It flows over to others. But first it goes back to him. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15, all things are for our sake, that the abundance of grace might through the thanksgiving in many redound, go right back to him. Boy, he loves the exchange in the individual that he's made, designed us the way that he is to fit the intimacy of that love, to go right back to him. Oh, how he loves to be loved. That's what Jesus was doing. But he's the initiator, and that's what he was doing with a woman. She was living in shame. She was living and in, in, in covering up, constant covering up because of shame. Some kind of shame, like there sh should be any shame in intimacy. My cup runs over. Surely, absolutely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, Father, thank you for your word this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.